The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Monday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us, and just like that. The NFL Scouting Combine has arrived in Indianapolis. Trent Baalke and Doug Peterson will meet with the media tomorrow. Up in Indianapolis, on-field work begins on Thursday. And if you can believe it, we are only two weeks away from NFL free agency that gets underway all over the National Football League Monday, March the 13th. Of course, the league calendar and signings become official 48 hours later on Wednesday, March the 15th. So we got a lot to do. We're glad you're with us on a Monday night of Hacker After Dark. We're in for Rick Ballou. The guest lineup looks like this. Up in Indianapolis, Jason Cole, now without kick, a longtime NFL writer. He's also a pro football Hall of Fame voter. We will talk Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, the Jacksonville Jaguars, all the NFL hot topics heading into the Combine with Jason Cole. That conversation coming up in about 20 minutes or so at 7 o'clock. A little less than an hour from now, we will go to Chicago, Illinois. Patrick Finley of the Chicago Sun-Times. What are the Bears going to do with the number one pick in the draft? Are they going to trade it? Boy, a lot of rumors today. So the Bears are leaning towards trading that pick. They would not trade Justin Fields, right, and draft Bryce Young. Are we past that rumor? We'll ask Patrick Finley about that of the Chicago Sun-Times. And you see all these free agency predictions? I've seen a lot of free agency predictions that have Jawan Taylor of Jacksonville going to Chicago. They have a need at right tackle, and they have a lot of money. So how much is Jawan Taylor on the Chicago Bears' radar? We'll get all those answers. Patrick Finley, our guy in Chicago with the Sun-Times at 7 o'clock. And at the bottom of the 7 o'clock hour, Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times-Union. Before he gets on the ground in Indianapolis, he's going to join us tonight on Hacker After Dark to take a look at everything that transpired this past weekend among roster decisions for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And that is where we will start tonight because every night here on Hacker After Dark, we do give you a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. Oh, I think it's a big deal. I think the Jacksonville Jaguars got some work done. This weekend, general manager Trent Baalke, you know, we've been waiting four or five weeks to see what exactly would transpire with the Jacksonville Jaguars, and we are starting to get some answers to what's going to transpire for the Jacksonville Jaguars. A couple of things right out of the gate. Jamichael Hasty, the running back, re-signs here in Jacksonville. He was set to become a restricted free agent. No longer is he a restricted free agent. He is brought back to the Jacksonville Jaguars. You then on Friday had the signing of C.J. Beathard. C.J. Beathard back in the fold. The two big ones, Foye Oluwakin, 
shaves $10 million off his cap figure for this year, restructuring. That will allow the Jaguars to do some things in free agency to maybe sign or re-sign some guys. You're going to see that more in the next 13 days. I would imagine Christian Kirk, but you know maybe Brandon Sheriff, guys that signed last year that have big cap numbers coming in to this offseason. All of those guys potentially will restructure as well. So we'll allow the Jaguars to do some things as far as maybe re-signing an Evan Ingram or re-signing a Jawan Taylor. But the biggest thing the Jaguars did this weekend, Roy Robertson Harris. There was a lot of talk that Roy Robertson Harris was not going to be able to return. He was going to be a cap casualty, a salary cap dump, if you will, to help get the Jaguars underneath the cap. Instead of that, and I guess you could call it a restructuring, although it was essentially a contract extension. Roy Robertson-Harris arguably, arguably was one of the top two or three defensive players the Jaguars had during that six-game winning streak. He gets rewarded with a new three-year, $30 million deal, and he will be back in Jacksonville in 2023. That's enormous. Now that means Foley Fadakasi will be back. That means Devon Hamilton will be back. And that now means Roy Robertson-Harris will be back. That is a big, big deal. Kudos to the Jaguars and to Trent Baalke for getting that done. I would love to see something similar with Rayshon Jenkins. I would love to see something similar with Jamal Agnew. Now, you can't keep everybody. You got to prioritize. And certainly, it appears that Roy Robertson-Harris was a pretty big priority for the Jaguars as they lock him up Three years, $30 million. It spreads that cap number out a little bit. His cap hit is not near as big now as it was set to be, and he will definitely be in a Jaguar uniform in 2023. That's what this offseason is going to be about. That is what this offseason is going to be about, keeping the band together. You re-sign Jermichael Hasty. You re-sign C.J. Beathard. You make sure Roy Robertson-Harris isn't going anywhere. In a perfect world, Evan Ingram's back. In a perfect world, guys like Andrew Wingard, Chris Manhurts are back. Those are going to be the free agent signings here in Jacksonville in 2023. You could potentially sprinkle in two or three guys from the outside, and then obviously you throw Calvin Ridley into that. But by and large, it's going to be keeping the foundation, keeping the in-house guys here And the Jaguars are off to a very, very good start on that this weekend with Hasty, with Bethard, and with Roy Robertson-Harris now all set to return in 2023. By the way, when it comes to Hasty, I said this last week, I'll stand by it. I love the fact that he's back. They got to do more in that running back room. Whether it's in the draft or in free agency, I need one more running back. I'm fine with Jermichael Hasty being a third down back. And I'm fine with him getting in there and getting some carries. But I would like to see a little more depth, whether that means the emergence of Snoop Connor, who was a rookie last year. Perhaps he makes that jump from year one to year two. Or whether you go out and you draft somebody or you go out and you sign a veteran, I need at least one more running back. But again, I am happy that Jermichael Hasty will be in the mix there in the Jaguar running back room. As we talked about, it is the NFL scouting combine 
and man alive. It doesn't get on the field, I believe, until Saturday, yet already a ton of conversation, a ton of discussion about Florida Gator quarterback Anthony Richardson. He will more than likely be the most talked about player in Indianapolis because all indications are he is going to perform very well at these team drills. 40-yard dash, vertical jump. We know what an athletic freak he is, right? We know the kind of athleticism and what he is capable of. We know he's healthy, and he's going to throw, and that's a big deal. Denny Thompson last week on Gator Bites, his quarterback coach who was in Indianapolis with him, told us a week ago that he is going to throw and take part in all the throwing drills. I believe the quarterbacks are in Saturday night primetime. Will Levis is going to throw. The quarterback for Kentucky, it appears C.J. Stroud is going to throw. The quarterback for Ohio State, Bryce Young of Alabama, reportedly will not be throwing and will wait for his pro day. That's normally what you see. All the big-time quarterbacks, the first-round grade quarterbacks, more times than not, do not throw at the combine. And I don't know if it's peer pressure. I don't know exactly what it is this year. But indications are Stroud, Levis, and Richardson all are going to do some, if not all, of the throwing drills. And the conversation about Anthony Richardson is well underway. Listen to Dan Orlovsky. This was earlier today on the Pat McAfee show. This is the part we could actually play for you on Terrestrial Radio. Uh, McAfee gets kind of colorful with some language on that show, but we love it. Pat McAfee does a great job. Dan Orlovsky, on the other hand, from ESPN, was a guest of Pat McAfee, and this is what he had to say earlier today about Anthony Richardson. I, I called the Utah game, like I said, and I was like, yeah, this, he's top 10 talent. His talent is off the charts. And I know people sit there and go, well, look at him as a pocket passer. Not trying to be disrespectful, but go watch what he was throwing to at Florida last year. Their number one receiver was their transfer from Arizona State wide receiver. I, I forget his name, but they didn't have guys on the outside. They didn't have guys on the outside. Florida stinks. That? Florida stinks. Dude, their talent on offense on the perimeter was so subpar. I think he's supernaturally talented. Everything you hear about him, great dude, works his tail off, super smart. He's a telling you, man, like, now, is he ready to play? No. But he has got superstar potential talent-wise. Now, there are a couple of things right there. And that was Dan Orlovsky again on the Pat McAfee show earlier today. A couple of things there. One, regarding Anthony Richardson. And another piece of that is Dan Orlovsky talking about how awful the weapons were around Anthony Richardson in Gainesville last year. Orlovsky called a couple of the Gator games. He mentioned he called the Utah game to start the year. That was one of Anthony Richardson's better games. right? I know that feels like forever ago that they actually won that game. But when you hear a guy like Orlovsky, a college football analyst and one of the main football guys on ESPN talk about how subpar, that's the word he used, subpar, the Gator talent was last year, that's a topic for maybe later on in the show. But back to Anthony Richardson for a moment. Again, superstar talent. Now, I'm going to talk to Jason Cole about Anthony Richardson coming up here in less than 10 minutes. And Jason Cole has been around for a while. He has seen a lot of guys. He's a voter in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He is a good guy to ask 
about an incoming rookie quarterback. And and I think you're going to hear from Jason Cole what a lot of people say about Anthony Richardson. And we're kind of blind to this fact locally because we talked about him so much really two years ago and then obviously coming into last year and throughout the season. Anthony Richardson has, I think, 12 starts in college football. 12. He didn't start – I mean, he started one game in 2021 – did he start all 12 regular season games this year? I guess he did. Except for the bowl game. Yeah, so he has 13 career starts. One start in 2021 and 12 starts in 2022. So here is a guy that has thrown, I believe, less than 400 passes in college football. Here is a guy who, as you just heard Dan Orlovsky say, was playing with, quote, subpar talent at the University of Florida yet everybody is drooling over him. And I think this starts to open the door a little bit as to why there is such a disconnect between college football guys and between NFL draft guys as far as the media, the scouts, the people that cover college football compared to the people that cover the NFL draft. Orlovsky's a good one because he does both. And he's obviously very split on him. He says, yeah, he's got superstar talent, but he was playing with awful people around him. Or, let me rephrase that, subpar people around him. That's what the college football people saw. The college football people watched the Missouri game and the Kentucky game, and they saw Anthony Richardson overthrowing guys and making poor reads and not doing this and not doing that. Well, maybe that's because the guys that were playing with him weren't very good. Look, no offense to Ricky Pearsall. He's a nice player. But when Ricky Pearsall is your best wide receiver, a transfer from Arizona State that had 48 catches his final year in Tempe, that is a problem. The Gators got nothing out of the tight end position last year. Xavier Henderson, Justin Shorter. Now, they had a good running game, good running game with Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne. But when you really sit back and think about it, Anthony did not get a lot of help, did not have a lot of guys around him. And he's going into a situation now where he's very inconsistent. But if a team is patient and a team is willing to wait, he could prosper. Here's the problem with that. All indications are, whether it's Indianapolis at four or Carolina later on in the top ten, you're seeing almost every mock draft now where one of those two are trading into the top five to draft Anthony Richardson. Or in Indy's case, trading up maybe to number two to take Anthony Richardson. And if that's the case and somebody's trading up to take him, they're not going to be patient. You cannot be patient. You cannot you know, trade a first-rounder this year and a first-rounder next year and be patient. San Francisco could do that with Trey Lance because they already had an established guy in Jimmy Garoppolo and were a playoff team. Carolina is not a playoff team. Indianapolis is not a playoff team. You're not going to be able to afford to wait. So I hope Anthony Richardson, and I'm pulling for the kid, all right? I've been critical of him at times. I thought he was awful in a couple of games last year. I'm not going to sugarcoat that, but let's be real. He's being trained by a good friend of mine and Denny Thompson at six points. Uh, he's a local kid from Gainesville, played at the University of Florida. Call me biased. Call me whatever you want. 
yeah, I'm rooting for Anthony Richardson. My concern is if a team like Carolina or somebody like that trades up to take him, they're going to throw him out there before he's ready, and I think that could be a problem. If he is allowed time to develop, yeah, he could be a superstar. Dan Orlovsky could be absolutely right. But again, 13 career starts in college football. Only six wins as a starter in college football, and he's thrown less than 400 passes in college football. It is crazy to think that with that limited experience, he's going to go into the NFL year number one and do what many people expect him to do. Expectations got to be somewhat tempered until Anthony Richardson gets some experience and figures out what's going on. 641-1010 is the phone number on the phone line and on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. As always, on a Monday, we are glad you are with us. Coming up next, let's go to Indianapolis. The Combine officially gets underway tomorrow, although a lot of the NFL media have already made their way there. That includes Jason Cole of OutKick. He's been a pro football Hall of Fame voter for many years. Let's talk NFL free agency. Let's talk Anthony Richardson. And let's talk the Jacksonville Jaguars and their offseason outlook. Jason Cole, next on Hacker After Dark. A phone line brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah & Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. And just like that, the NFL scouting combine has arrived. Doug Peterson and Trent Balky will be addressing the media tomorrow up in Indianapolis, and we are two weeks from today until the start of NFL free agency. Hard to believe with that. Let's go to one of my favorites. He's been covering the NFL for many years. He is a pro football Hall of Fame voter. You catch him now on OutKick. That's Jason Cole, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Jason, how we doing? Life is beautiful. What's going on? Hey, Jason, always appreciate the time, especially this week. Know you're, know you're busy with the combine. For a guy like you that's done this as long as you have, it's pretty amazing, right, what the combine has turned into. It's a college, uh, you know, draft process, part of the, you know, off season, but it's turned into, man, so much more than that now. Um, yeah, although I have a sneaky feeling that it's going to recede to become less as more and more head coaches um, decide not to go and not allow their assistant coaches to go and just basically send their scouts to go. So it's a, it's kind of a funny time that it's as big a TV deal and media deal as it, as it is, but it's less of an insider thing. And I look, I remember coming to the combine when there would be maybe 25 reporters, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know like back in the nineties, um, which tells you how old I am, but um, you know, we'd show up and there'd be a very few, reporters around town and it was great because you just catch guys and talk to them and now it's you know kind of a media circus and it's an event onto its own it's one of what they like to call tent pole events in the nfl and look i get it you know all 32 teams their fan bases are are interested you know especially the 31 that didn't win you know they want to know how what they're going to get out of this it's going to help them win so between this free agency the draft in April, I mean, this is basically Christmas time for those fans. Um, but I think that the NFL, as an as an organization and entity, sees 
there's diminishing returns in terms of having too many people here and there's too much going on aside from the basic scouting that makes it a distraction if that makes sense and ultimately it's kind of become a job fair in some ways where you guys are networking you know they're not necessarily looking for jobs but they're looking for their next job, if that makes sense. Yeah, you got to wonder if Gil Brandt, who was uh, one of the kind of forefathers in this whole process, if you would have told him back in the day that, yeah, these workouts are going to be shown on network television uh, on Saturday night prime time, he probably would have looked at you and said, what? But that's where we are with the NFL scouting combine. Jason Cole of OutKick here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. All right, Jason, the offseason season. Hasn't really fired up yet, although we're getting there. We're two weeks from free agency. We're still a week out from the franchise tag deadline. I guess the two big questions I'll throw at you to begin are Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson. What are we hearing on both, and do you think there will be any movement with either guy in the next couple of weeks? I think there's more likely to be movement. Well, I take that back. I think there's a pretty good chance that both of them move. Um as teams start to figure out what is what are they willing to give up for a guy now now rogers is obviously far and away the most important um guy out there because he's the best and most talented of them and he makes you a super bowl contender playoff contender by himself um if you you know as long as you have a requisite team right so to me you know if you're the jets or you're some other big time team or team that thinks you're on the cap cusp of competing you have to measure, is it worth giving up three first-round picks plus whatever else it's going to cost you to go and get Aaron Rodgers for what's probably a year or two and having to deal with the annual kind of circus of will he or won't he play? Um, you push all in with that to go out and get him. Uh, and I think it's a really tough call. And you're going to have to have a heart-to-heart -heart with him to say, okay, if I'm giving up this much to get you, how long are you really going to play? And I can't have you go into darkness retreats every offseason to determine whether you're going to do this. And when you do that, it all of a sudden puts him in a very strong negotiating position to ask for even more. So not only are you going to have to give up whatever the draft pick compensation is for the Packers, but depending on how long you're asking him to play, if it's one, two, three, four years, you're trying to get that out of him, it's going to cost you. And so it's an expensive proposition to go get him. Now, people would say, well, then why don't I go get Derek Carr? Well, Derek Carr is Derek Carr. You know, he's a good player. He's not a great one. And he doesn't make you a Super Bowl contender by himself. Um, and he certainly, if that story about the Jets saying that he'd be a Hall of Famer <laughs> with yeah. the Jets, you know, like, if that's true, I mean, if they said that, that's just not, you know, like, that's really far flung. But that tells you how desperate they are to get him because they realize the expense that it would take to go get Rodgers. And finally, if you get to Lamar Jackson, look, I know he's asking for more guaranteed money than Deshaun Watson. If I'm a GM or an owner, I ain't paying that. I, I like Lamar Jackson. I think he makes you a competitive, competitive team. I think he puts you in the playoff race. And if things fell right, I think he's the kind of guy who can maybe 
get you to the Super Bowl, might even win you a Super Bowl once in his career. But there are two things that bother me a lot about Lamar Jackson. Number one is he's now his body is now starting to break down. You know, I, I remember people saying, oh, well, he avoids contact. He's a, he's a different runner than everybody else. He doesn't get hit the way that other guys get hit. BS. <laughs> Just BS. Guys slow down. They get hit. Um, his way of playing is not conventional, and there's a reason for that. Because it's not easy to play that way. It's physically demanding. And to pay a guy $200 million when he's starting to slow down, like, I'm sorry, but no thanks. Mm-hmm. And I know I know the Deshaun Watson contract is out there, but that's Cleveland's problem, not mine. You know, like that that's their fault for giving, you know, Deshaun Watson that much money to get him to play there. So, you know, like Lamar Jackson, again, I think he's a fabulous player. I think he's really interesting. I think you know, you can build a competitive team. I think he's not the greatest passer in the world, and you have a lot to overcome. If you're going to sign him as, as your your franchise quarterback, but I'm not paying him that kind of money, so I think it becomes hard to see if somebody's going to want to make the trade for him um, and give up a lot to get him. But I know that Baltimore, if somebody's willing to give up something, would probably take it and say we'll go a different direction. A couple of more for Jason Cole of Outkick, a Pro Football Hall of Fame voter. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Jason, speaking of quarterbacks and resetting the quarterback market we're very interested here in Jacksonville about Joe Burrow and about Justin Herbert they're up for extensions obviously whatever they get particularly Herbert is probably what Trevor Lawrence is going to ask for and then some next offseason what are you hearing about Herbert and Burrow and how high could those numbers get well I mean the average is going to start somewhere at 50 right so 50 and go north and ask yourself how much guarantee is going to be in that? I mean, is it a 10-year, $500 million deal? Or do they say, hey, look, I'd like to hit the market one more time and, you know, like maybe take a five-year deal at, at you know, $280 million to, you know, dollars or something like that um, <laughs> and, and so that I can hit the market one more time. Or I'll take a little bit less on the guarantee. Who knows what it's going to look like? But, you know, it's going to be expensive. And by the time, you know, by the time a year from now when, um, you know, when you've got to negotiate again, look, the number's probably going to start at 52, 53, 54, something in that area. I mean, what was Deshaun's, Deshaun Watson's deal? What's the average on that one? Is it 52 on that one? Yeah. I can't a, remember. And it's all guaranteed, which is crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's going to look, it's going to be north of that for those guys. So it's going to be north, and and Burrow's probably going to get a full guarantee, which is going to be really hard for the Bengals to swallow, um, or they're going to have to come up with different language. And Justin Herbert's going to be a challenge for, for the Chargers in terms of full guarantee, because as I, you know, it's a little known thing that. When you fully guarantee a contract, you have to put all of that money in escrow. Um, so you're an owner, and if you've got, you know, you you guarantee $210 million, that money has to go into an escrow account until it's completely paid off. So you're basically, you know, parking a lot of cash. Um, 
And so for some owners, they can do that. For some other owners, they can't. Um, or, you know, I'm not saying they can't because, you know, we're all talking, we're talking about, you know, they own businesses that are worth on, on average four and a half billion dollars. So the money's there, but it's harder for some than it is for others. Jason Cole of Outkick here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Jason, I want to end with the Jaguars before we get there. Anthony Richardson, a guy you're very familiar with, a guy that's going to probably hold court up at the Combine this week. He is scheduled to throw in all the drills. That's what's being reported. I believe that because his quarterback coach, Denny Thompson, here on our air last week told us as much that he's going to be throwing at the Combine. What's the talk around the league, Jason, at least in your circles, about Anthony Richardson and his pro prospects? Well, look, at this kind of event, I mean, this is this event's built for Anthony Richardson, right? I mean, he's going to look like an Adonis. <laughs> I mean, the, man, the man's a Greek god in terms of what he looks like um, and how he's going to run, and he'll throw it fine. Um, I mean, like... Guys are going to go, their, their jaws are going to drop. If they haven't already seen Anthony Richardson in uniform, when they see him in this, like, I mean, this is a very Freudian kind of experience for, for, uh, for scouts. I mean, it, it's a little disturbing, you know, how much they're going to be attracted. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, like, that's how this works, right? The, the issue with Anthony Richardson, and this is a really, from, yeah, everybody I know in Gainesville who knows the kid, he's a great kid, wonderful kid. It's the kind of guy that you want, uh, you know, around you, you know, running your team and all those kinds of things. That doesn't mean he's a quarterback yet. He's had 400 throws at the college level. I think less than 400 throws since he played half a season of his senior year in high school for a not very good high school program. And I say that, and that hurts me to say that because, because both of my sons went to Eastside high school. Okay. So I say that with a grimace. Okay. About the, the quality of the high school program that he played at. Okay. So you're talking about a kid who has very, very, very little experience playing a real style of quarterback, let alone a style of quarterback that portends to NFL success. He has to go to a team, I, I hope this happens, where he can be like Aaron Rodgers early in his career and had to sit for a few years. Or like Jordan Love right now, sit for a couple of years. If he goes to a place and ends up playing by his second year, like Tim Tebow, right, did famously and played too early before his mechanics could be fixed, before he learned to read defenses on a more complex level, before he got into an offense that was more situated toward throwing. He's, I don't know that he's going to make it. And so this is, a, this is, to me, the hottest debated quarterback in all of this is Anthony Richardson and what this is going to happen because he's going to look like a $50 million player in the eyes of scouts. But when he plays, the experience level does not match the hype. And, look, he's so up and down. I mean, on the Tennessee game last year, 
and the Missouri game last year. Same quarterback, same offense, two completely different. Um, well, because because he hasn't played. Yeah, because yeah. He, I mean, it's it's not he's inconsistent because he should be inconsistent if you haven't played that much. Like he's basically a freshman in college in terms of experience, in terms of total number of throws. It's just not it's not fair to the kid. But I understand why he's going pro, and he's somebody's going to draft him very high. And, and, and that's all okay. But the question is, does that team have a plan for how to solve what you just talked about at the pro level, which is even harder? There's no question about it. Final moment, Jason Cole. Leave us with this. The Jaguars coming into this offseason. Normally, they're the team that no one talks about, Jason. And now, all of a sudden, they've been thrust into a spotlight where I'm not sure any publication will not pick them to win the AFC South coming into 2023. From your experience covering the league, how will a team handle that from whatever you want to call it, the hunter to the hunted, whatever verbiage you want to describe? How do teams handle that more often than not? Um, it depends on how mature your leadership is. And I tend to think that, you know, having watched Trevor Lawrence for a couple of years now and sort of the level-headed approach, like he had a very kind of level-headed approach even during – the worst of the Urban Meyer chaos, right? And he, you know, like he even said things that made it clear that Urban wasn't ready to be a head coach, but he said them in a way that was incredibly professional, right? And made it clear like there needed to be change. And this year you heard him talk about the things that he needed to improve upon, you know, and the responsibility he took. And so if he takes that same kind of approach to say, look, you know, great second year for, for all of us, made the playoffs, but we, we're not there yet, and we have these steps, and here's the plan that we're going to follow as laid out by the head coach, right? You have a head coach who understands what the process is about. I think if you get the buy, you know, you have a leader, who, you have a coach who knows what needs to be done, and you have a very important leader who knows how to follow that plan, then you have a chance to really get there and dominate that division the way I think that they can dominate probably for the next three to five years minimum and depending on what happens with the quarterbacks in that division, right? Like you don't know who's going to end up with what at quarterback and how that's going to change the division going forward. But for right now, Trevor Lawrence is the only clear franchise quarterback in that division, right? So – to me, Jacksonville is the only clear, consistent, competitive team in that division and should be able to dominate it for a while. So they've got some things to do. Like, they're not going to be big shoppers in free agency, it doesn't look like. And they've got to figure out, you know, Ingr the Ingram situation. you got three wide receivers who are all making, I'm not going to say too much money. Kirk, Kirk, you know, they're making what they deserve to make. But you can't hold three guys like that, right? Who are all making ten million plus, and one of them making twenty million dollars. It just doesn't work under your cap situation, and and you have to figure out how are you going to keep guys like that, keep weapons like that, and feed Trevor Lawrence, and make sure that he's got plenty of guys around him to help him out, while at the same time keeping your cap under control. And it takes some, it takes some cap gymnastics, basically. 
And we saw Trent Baalke already do some of those gymnastics this weekend. Foyer Lubican restructured that knocked $10 million off the cap. They're going to have to do that, certainly, to a couple of more guys. Jason Cole, the NFL scouting combine going on up in Indy. Jason, know you're busy. Thank you for taking time out. Let's do this again after free agency, and we'll see where the Jaguars have landed. I appreciate it. Take care. Thanks, Ryan. There you go. Jason Cole about kick here with us on Hacker After Dark. Always appreciate his perspective and yeah we've talked about this right and it's going to come to fruition in a couple of months at the draft but you're looking at an AFC South that's going to have Trevor Lawrence in it maybe Ryan Tannehill that's not even a a foregone conclusion yet there's talk in Tennessee that they could potentially shop or get rid of Tannehill we'll see what happens there but even if Tannehill sticks around for this point of the argument let's say he does Trevor Lawrence, Ryan Tannehill, and then two rookie quarterbacks, right? Whether it's Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, whomever, that's what the AFC South is going to be. The Houston Texans are going to be starting more than likely a rookie quarterback from day one. The Indianapolis Colts, again, more than likely, are going to be starting a rookie quarterback also from day number one. So it is just from four and eight – at Thanksgiving and the season going nowhere and the same old, same old for the Jaguars. And that was three months ago to now, not only being the defending division champion, but on paper being clearly the best team in this division. And it doesn't really appear to be all that close, depending on what happens in Nashville. It has been quite the turnaround. No question about that. There is a lot more going on in the National Football League. A proposed rule change, it's pretty interesting. It involves roughing the passer. We'll tell you about that. Carson Wentz, once again on the unemployment line, you wonder if this is it for Carson Wentz. Will somebody else give him a chance or is Carson Wentz maybe seen the last of his playing days in the National Football League? He was cut earlier today in Washington. And I want to get into this story from CBSSports.com. They ranked all 32 teams on their impending free agents. The number one team obviously has the best free agents that they need to re-sign. Where did Jacksonville come in with Evan Ingram and Jawan Taylor, Arden Key, etc.? Maybe not where you would think they would come in. That's next on Hacker After Dark. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. So there's a lot of NFL news, as you would imagine, on the eve of the Combine. I found this to be pretty interesting. For you loyal 1010XL listeners, and just for football fans in general, you might remember a world a little over 12 months ago that the name Adrian Wilson was a very popular name here in Jacksonville. The thought was, potentially, Byron Leftwich was going to be the head coach with former NFL safety and a guy that was in the Cardinals' front office, Adrian Wilson, becoming the Jaguars' general manager. So much so that we had a guest on here that used the number 99.9% that that was going to happen. Hey, look, I'm wrong a lot, too. I'm not going to bury the guy. He went with it on one of our shows. We reported it. We let him have his time to 
say his piece. He was out in Phoenix. It didn't happen. Whatever. A horrible call. But (laughs) it was bad. But the reason I bring Adrian Wilson up is it's not 99.9 tonight. It's 100% that he is joining the Carolina Panthers. Ian Rappaport, Tom Pelissero say that the Panthers are hiring Adrian Wilson as their new vice president of player personnel. So there you go. It took an extra year plus, but Adrian Wilson is coming to the East Coast and is going to a city where the mascot is a cat. But it's not Jacksonville, and it's not the Jaguars. It is Charlotte, and it is the Carolina Panthers. Speaking of the East Coast, Carson Wentz is no longer in the NFC East. Washington releasing him today, saving $20 million on their cap. That is a no-brainer. Carson Wentz obviously was not in the future plans. The career of Carson Wentz is a fascinating one. From the number two overall pick to a potential MVP candidate to a torn ACL trying to dive in for a touchdown at the goal line to his career basically never recovering. And now he's nothing more than a journeyman, right? It'll be if he signs on to another team, if it'll be four teams in four years. Philadelphia, one year in Indianapolis, one year in Washington, and now he's a free agent yet again. So I hope I have no ill will towards Carson Wentz, nothing against the guy. It's just a fall from grace. That'll be talked about for quite some time. Number two pick, MVP candidate. You see what a knee injury can do to a quarterback, man. He has never, ever been the same since that knee injury. Carson Wentz available now on the open market. The Los Angeles Rams have petitioned the NFL Competition Committee to explore the roughing the passer penalty. Look, I get it. Quarterbacks are huge for the NFL. We all, what do we always talk about? We talk about Trevor Lawrence, right? Mahomes, Herbert, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, protect your quarterbacks. But the last time I checked, this is tackle football. And some of the penalties they're calling now for roughing the passer, well, quite frankly, they're not roughing the passer. They're being tackled to the ground And anytime you tackle a quarterback to the ground, there's a flag coming out. It's preposterous. It's no longer tackle football at that point. Something has to be done. And I don't know if the NFL will do anything with this or not. I would tend to doubt it. But I'm happy that teams are at least pressing the issue. Review roughing the passer. Make it reviewable. And if the referees go to the booth and they see that's an egregious call, be able to turn, be able to change the call, right? Do something with it. 15-yard penalties for roughing the passer are crucial penalties. And if it's blatant, then you keep it. But if it's nonsense, give the referee a chance to go back and look at it in replay and be able to change that call. These games mean way, way too much. Also, I mentioned this earlier, cbssports.com is ranking 1-32 to the impending free agents. For example, Philadelphia 
ranks number one. Have you seen the free agents for Philadelphia? James Bradbury, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Javon Hargrave, Miles Sanders, Fletcher Cox. Philadelphia is just simply not going to be able to re-sign all those guys. Buffalo, number two. Jordan Poyer, Tremaine Edwins, Devin Singletary. Number three is an example. The New York Giants, Saquon Barkley, Julian Love, Daniel Jones. So I'm scrolling on this list, and I'm scrolling. I'm thinking, all right, where's Evan Ingram? Where's Jawan Taylor? Where's the Jaguar crop? We've talked a lot about him over the last month. We want him re-signed here. You have to go all the way down to number 24, the bottom quarter of the league. CBS says Ingram is one of the best tight ends in this free agent class, valuable enough for Jacksonville to strongly consider the franchise tag. Marvin Jones isn't as productive as he has been in the past, but he's good enough for wide receiver depth. Jawan Taylor has never missed a game in the NFL as a right tackle. The crop in Jacksonville isn't deep, but has two players worth retaining in Ingram and Taylor. I agree with that. I also agree that it's interesting. You look at the Jaguar free agents compared to what I just mentioned in Philadelphia and Buffalo, not as bad. Even if you lose everybody, which I don't think they will, But even if you lose all parties involved, the Jaguars can recover from that. Philadelphia and Buffalo, the Giants, they have a lot more assets as free agents that they need to re-sign in the coming weeks. Speaking of the coming weeks, Chicago, the number one pick in the draft, as we're talking right now. Will it be that way in two months? Is Justin Fields on the trade block? Could Bryce Young be in play in Chicago? What about all these trade rumors? And Chicago's got a ton of money in free agency. They appear to have a need at right tackle. You hear the name Jawan Taylor linked a lot when it comes to Chicago. Let's talk about all this with our guy up in the Windy City, Patrick Finley, the Chicago Sun-Times, talking about the number one pick, Justin Fields, Jawan Taylor, and more. That's next on a Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Now. Hello. Another great guest on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Now, in back-to-back years, the Jaguars knew all about the number one pick in the draft. Of course, Trevor Lawrence and Trayvon Walker. Now, here we are in 2023 and the Windy City, Chicago, And the Bears have the number one pick in the draft, and there are a ton of rumors swirling around that number one pick. With that, let's go to our guy up in Chicago for the Chicago Sun-Times, Patrick Finley, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Patrick, how we doing? Not too bad. How about yourself? Patrick, we're good, man. Thank you for the time. And all right, before we really dive into all the stories and rumors, take us back to week 18. The Texans are driving, inexcusably driving the ball, on Indianapolis. They score a touchdown. They line up for two in the win, and they get it. What was the reaction in Chicago? 
don't forget, I think there was a fourth and 18, 16, something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Hail Mary in which, you know, uh, the ball's hanging in the air and you just got Tom Jackson's voice from the old uh, uh, ESPN uh, countdown show just screaming, just knock it down, knock it down. And the, and, uh, the Colts couldn't even do that. They let the ball uh, go into the end zone for a touchdown. Yeah, uh, the Bears game had just ended. Um, quite frankly, the, the press box was probably more interested in that game than the one on the field. Um, the players weren't watching the, uh, the GM, Ryan Poles said that he was informed of it early or, you know, by somebody as he was walking down the stairs to the locker room. So there wasn't a watch party or anything like that, but boy, it was the best case scenario for the bears. There is absolutely no question about that. All right. So there are a tons of stories going around a ton of rumors going around. Let's start with the, the one at the top that everybody's wondering. Is there legitimate talk in Chicago that Justin Fields could potentially be traded? Here's what Ryan Paul said uh, at the end of the season. He said he would have to be blown away in order to uh, have anybody but Justin play quarterback. You know, what does that mean? Does that mean that, that they look at the tape and, and they love Bryce Young? You'd think that, you know, by mid-January, he'd have a pretty good read on whether Bryce Young was quarterback for him. Does that mean that if somebody overwhelms him with a trade offer for Justin, he would consider moving him? Maybe. But, you know, I think the smart money is that Justin stays exactly where he is. He showed enough flashes in the last year. Remember, he finished, what, 60 yards shy of the all-time quarterback rushing record uh, for the Bears to stick with him. Uh, inside the building, they love his uh, makeup. They love the way he leads. They love his toughness. They love his running and they need to get better at passing. Uh, that's a pretty obvious critique, uh, given some of his stats. But I think they're going to stick with him. I think it's in their best interest to make the world think that they could go either way, just to drive up the price for that draft pick. And, and my bet right now would be they trade that number one pick with the goal of getting uh, a number one in 2024 as well. And, and the rationale behind that would be if Justin isn't who they thought he was at the end of next season, uh, they'd have two fairly high first-round draft picks and the ability to move around in the draft that has probably a better quarterback class than this one does. Patrick Finley of the Chicago Sun-Times here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Patrick, we're obviously very familiar with Justin Fields. A lot of people here in Jacksonville thought it was going to be Justin Fields before the Jets, for whatever reason, decided to beat the Rams and just hand the Jaguars a generational quarterback in Trevor Lawrence, and we were forever grateful for Frank Gore for doing that for us here in Jacksonville. Uh, but, you know, from afar, we see it as Justin Fields, one of the best rushing quarterbacks the league has maybe seen since Michael Vick. But as you said, as a quarterback, you kind of need to throw the ball a little bit. What is your thought on Justin as a passer, and how much does he need to grow, and, and how quickly does it need to happen? I think he needs to grow, but I think he needs better players around him. And when you look at the Bears' offensive line, at some of their pass blocking, uh, they were not up to snuff at all. When you look at the receivers he had, uh, oh, my God. I mean, I would challenge anybody outside of the city of Chicago to name three Bears pass catchers <laughs> because they're mostly anonymous guys. Darnell Mooney uh, entered the season as their best receiver. He got hurt midway through. They trade for Chase Claypool. They gave up their second-round pick for Chase Claypool, which, by the way, is the 32nd pick in this year's draft because of the Dolphins' forfeiture. Uh, that's a trade they'd probably like to have back because Claypool was uh, almost non-existent here. Uh, Cole Komet's a pretty good tight end. But that's it. That's the list, really, in terms of 
players uh, who helped Justin uh, Fields in the uh, in the passing department. So they're going to have to get better at blocking. They're going to have to get a little more dynamism in, in their receivers. And I believe in Justin. I think Justin's a, uh, a a capable passer who, when put in a good situation, would be even more so. You know, I, I look at what you guys did down there. You know, a lot of people didn't like that Christian Kirk signing. You know, that was a lot of money. But as it turns out, it was the kind of player that, that helped Trevor grow. I, I think the Bears need a version of that, even if they have to overpay for it. Matt Eberflus interviewed here in Jacksonville last year before ultimately the Jaguars hired Doug Peterson. Matt Eberflus, the head coach in Chicago. What has been the reaction to him after one year? And mixed, you know, he has the worst he has the worst coaching record of any Bears coach in the history of the franchise right now. Uh, that's obviously not his fault. The Bears knew coming into the season that they were going to rebuild. They traded Khalil Mack. They let Akeem Hicks walk. They traded Robert Quinn midseason. They traded Roquan Smith midseason. Uh, obviously, it was not in their best interest to try to actively win football games this year. Uh, I don't think you can blame Eberflus for all of that. Uh, you know, right now, you know, the, the thing you can say about his coaching style is this hits principle that he has. It's a way of grading players and uh, trying to, you know, in, in very simplistic terms, make sure his players hustle at all times. Uh, as a coordinator, that worked uh, with the Colts kind of up until that Jacksonville game at the end of the season. Um, and uh, But as a head coach, you know, we'll see. Uh, he had to develop a system to, to rate offensive players in addition to defensive players. And, you know, his secret sauce is, you know, I'm going to make sure that you play hard on every play. I don't know whether that registers with big money free agents. We're going to find out. And, and I don't know whether that is uh, enough of a schematic advantage uh, to help the Bears. I, I don't think you can grade him on this one season. But to ignore the fact that they went 3-14, and 14, I, I think would be silly as well. A couple of more for Patrick Fenley of the Chicago Sun-Times. Patrick, you mentioned uh, big money free agents. The Jaguars have a couple that they are trying to re-sign, including Jawan Taylor. You look at all the free agent predictions, right, the rumors that are out there. There seems to be, and I've seen this in much more than one place, there seems to be some Chicago love and a Chicago sentiment brewing for Jawan Taylor along the offensive line. Is there a need at right tackle in Chicago? We know they have the money, but have you heard the name Jawan Taylor linked to the Bears? Yeah, I have. I, you know, Quite frankly, you hear most of the free agent offensive linemen linked to the Bears because they need help. Uh, there might be a link or a need at right tackle. Uh, they have a guy named Braxton Jones uh, who was a rookie last season. He played uh, uh, every game at left tackle. I personally think he's more of a right tackle, but if the Bears if the Bears go sign a left tackle, he'd probably bounce over to right tackle, and that would be that. If they don't, uh, you know, you know, there are a lot of right tackles out there. You know, Mike McGlinchey is a name that you hear as well. You know, in terms of left tackle, the kid in Kansas City, a Brown, uh, it comes up. Uh, quite frankly, the Bears need so much help on offensive line and defensive line that I think they need to be connected and probably are connected to most every big name free agent out there. Is it a situation where Chicago is just going to say, all right, Houston, Indianapolis, phones are open, call and give me your best offer and hope that you have two AFC South rivals literally bidding against each other for the number one pick? I mean, that's the best case scenario for Chicago, correct? Yeah, I think Indianapolis is probably the best case scenario because I think you could justify getting the number four overall and maybe next year's first round pick out of them. I think that that's really important. Uh, because it gives you a little insurance in case your quarterback situation goes belly up. In terms of the Texans, I just don't know whether 
that's worth it to the bears uh, to get whatever it would be, you know, a, you know, a three, you know, the price that the bears paid to move up for Mitch Trubisky is essentially what the bears should be getting um, by moving down just one spot. Uh, to me, the ju or the squeeze uh, or the juice isn't worth the squeeze there. Uh, to me, I've circled uh, the Colts as, as the ideal trading partner. Uh, like I said, not only because of what you can get, but you know, I want to bet against the Colts. If you look at what the Colts have done in the last year, I'm not sure there's an organization in football I'd rather bet against. <laughs> Maybe the Cardinals, uh, who have that third pick, but they don't need a quarterback. Uh, you know, especially if you hold the Colts' 2024 first-round pick, boy, I think that would be a fun season of watching and, and rooting for them to to lose as many games as possible because I think they're capable of it. You know, you mentioned Mitch Trubisky in that trade. Has Chicago and the fan base have they recovered, or will they ever recover? from not taking a guy that went to Kansas City that year and, and ultimately taking <laughs> Trubisky? No, the short answer is no. Uh, when I was out at the Super Bowl, I asked Patrick Mahomes uh, about it. Mahomes said, I was told I was the Bears uh, – uh, I was number one on the Bears list at quarterback, and I was also told that the Bears weren't going to draft one. So he got bad information on both, <laughs> on, both wow. uh, on both fronts there. But, man, just to hear those words come out of his mouth, uh, you know, the most transcendent football player of his generation, and he could have been here. Uh, in terms of Trubisky, have the Bears gotten over it? <sighs> you know, the Bears haven't had a quarterback since ever. I mean, legitimately ever. They're, uh, what is it? They've never had a 4,000-yard passer ever. Um, they've, you know, the best quarterback in their history, I think, played his last uh, down in 1940-something. Uh, uh, so this is just kind of their lot in life. And, you know, every new quarterback who comes in, you wonder whether he could be the one um, who, you know, becomes what? Only the four. I think they've only had three Pro Bowl quarterbacks ever. Um, so, so every new guy, you hope he's the one. I think Justin Fields uh, has as good a chance as anybody they've ever brought in. And, and I'll say this, uh, you know, when, you know, if you're curious about whether they should trade him or not, I would not want to be the Bears general manager that looks at their 102-year failure at quarterback and then looks at Justin Fields then decides to trade him <laughs> because I think that would guarantee Fields uh, goes and becomes a superstar somewhere else. And you don't want to overstate it. It's ironic. It's the same city. I mean, Portland drafting Bowie over a guy named Michael Jordan. I don't know if it's that to an extent, but you draft a quarterback in the same draft ahead of Patrick Mahomes. Oh, geez, that is just a – that's a tough <laughs> deal. No question about it. Patrick, leave us with this. All right, so you look at Chicago – all indications are if they remain in the top five and they keep Justin Fields, it's either one of two SEC defensive players. Jalen Carter at Georgia, Will Anderson at Alabama. Do you believe that to be true? And if they have their choice of the two, who do they like more? Yeah, I do believe that to be true. And, you know, I'm, I don't know. I, I think you can look at it two ways. Number one is that three technique tackle is the most important player on the Matt Eberflus defense. Last year, uh, free agent, or in free agency last year, they paid a lot of money for a guy named Larry Ogunjobi uh, uh, to come and be their, uh, their three-technique tackle. Uh, they paid so much more money than their next closest guy, it was laughable. And then Ogunjobi came in and failed his physical, and they never signed him, and he went to the Steelers where he was okay. You hear Iberflus talk about uh, that three technique being, I think the quote is the engine of our defense. So if anybody's ever going to take a three technique tackle in the top four, it would be a Matt Iberflus team. Uh, so that makes sense there. Now, Will Anderson, I think, is the safer prospect. I think Will Anderson 
Uh, I think you know what you're going to get with him. I think there have been some questions about Carter's um, ability to play down in and down out. You know, we've heard that before with guys, and sometimes it's just too easy for them in college. <laughs> they need to be challenged. So, uh, you know, I think you've got the positional fit with Carter, and I think you've got the safer choice with Anderson. If I were them, I would trade down to four and be thrilled with one, with, with either one, whichever one falls to me. Patrick Finley of the Chicago Sun-Times. He's our guy when it comes to the Chicago Bears. Patrick, know you're busy, man. Always appreciate the time. Thank you as always. We'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Thank you. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Yes, it is, Jacksonville. We're glad you're with us. As always, we're streaming on YouTube. Search 1010XL on YouTube. You can watch the show there every night. Also on Twitter, at 1010XL on Twitter, you'll see Hacker After Dark streaming there that you can watch every night from the comfort of your home. I did want to mention and just say thank you. Boy, the Jacksonville Iceman, that was a lot of fun on Saturday night. I took my son... My three-year-old, Little Hack, first sporting event he's ever been to in that capacity, arena, stadium, et cetera. Uh, my father-in-law and a buddy of mine, uh, Drew, all went to the uh, game, kind of a boys' night out, if you will, and it was just spectacular. Not to mention the Iceman won the game, which was great, but Little Hack got put on the video board uh, in the third period, which he just thought was the greatest thing ever. He's been telling everybody about that, and uh, it's the first Iceman game we've taken him to. It will certainly not be the last. They have a good product. It's family-friendly. And quite frankly, it was just a good time. So uh, thank you to everybody down there. And it was a good performance. They got a victory 4-1. to one. It was interesting, too. My father-in-law happens to be from Portland, Maine. And Maine actually has a team in the ECHL. So I uh, got a whole... Whole dynamic of the Jacksonville Icemen and, uh, you know, who they're with and the league they play in. So it was informative. It was fun. And if you haven't checked out a game and you have a little one like I do, I would certainly, certainly recommend it. Uh, Denmark, before we move on, again, Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union is coming up here in less than 10 minutes as he's on his way to the Combine up in Indianapolis. Again, Trent Balky, the Jaguars GM. We'll speak tomorrow. Doug Peterson, the Jaguar head coach, will speak tomorrow. Denmark, I wanted to say thank you publicly as well because I went into the um, urinal earlier and uh, noticed that the toilet was running off to my right. I didn't actually go in the stall. I could just hear it as I was taking care of business elsewhere in the uh, men's room there. Uh, But you went in there just like a champion and uh, rolled up your sleeves and took care of the toilet from running. So I wanted to say thank you, and uh, that saved us, I'm sure, an email from those here tomorrow morning that uh, would have asked why the bathroom was flooded. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I don't think it's in my job description, but uh, I don't know. I guess from every anybody that's not from the west side, if you're from the west side, you're like certified to do anything that requires manual labor. So, uh, yeah, we got it all good. It's not all in good. your job description, but make no mistake about it. You need to text the boss man, all right? And you need to tell the boss man that we had a urinal problem here on a Monday night and you went in there really without even being asked to do it by any higher-ups. Yeah, you, you wanted me to email somebody. I'm like, dude, let me check this out, <laughs> Yeah, man. you just went in there yourself. Hey, you did a great job, man. I'll be honest with you. I've worked at 1010XL for over 15 years, two different buildings, like four different radio frequencies, and I've never fixed a toilet. 
in either building I've been in. So you got that one over on me in a very short amount of time. Uh, so congratulations to you for doing that. And again, Steve, if you're listening, he did a fantastic job. I'm not sure if it's raise worthy, but it certainly got my attention that when the toilets are running, Denmark is who you call yeah. here on Hacker After Dark. It's it's one of those jobs where, you know, there are many fires that people don't see that you got to put out. Hey, man, good job. Yeah, good job. I commend it. you. Commend you in a big way. Florida State, North Carolina. Florida State, a buzzer beater to beat Miami on the weekend. Boy, there were a lot of buzzer beaters, right? Florida State over Miami. You had Arizona State drill like a 60-footer to beat Ar- to beat Arizona. It was crazy. San Diego State beat New Mexico on a three at the buzzer. A lot of great college basketball. And then, of course, Florida played, uh, which was not a great college basketball game. I'm telling you, they're not going to win another game this year. And it's unfortunate that Colin Castleton got hurt, but I just don't think Florida wins another game this year. Having said that, Florida State right back on the court tonight playing North Carolina. They trail 15-14 midway through the first half. Let's talk combine. Let's talk what the Jaguars did over the weekend with all their free agents and all their uh, restructuring of contracts. And let's preview Trent Baalke and Doug Peterson tomorrow up in Indianapolis. Let's do that with Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union. He's next on a Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you, and Jacksonville. We're glad you're with us. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Monday evening, and we are glad you are with us. Can you believe the NFL scouting combine has arrived? In fact, tomorrow afternoon in Indianapolis, Doug Peterson and Trent Baalke will both meet with the NFL media assembled there in Indianapolis. One of those NFL media members is our guy Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union. He's heading up to Indianapolis later on this evening. Before he goes, he's taking time out with us here on Hacker After Dark. Demetrius, how are you, man? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Demetrius, we're good. Thank you for the time on what is a busy day for you. And uh, look, we're going to talk about the moves the Jaguars made this past weekend. There were quite a few of them. But boy, you can speak to this. The combine itself has really become a big, big deal. Yeah, it's the draft process, but Demetrius, it's really become so much more than that. It really has. You know, um, everyone sort of meets there, and that's where, like, all of the teams and coaches and GMs sort of congregate for, for one final time before the draft where they can, you know, evaluate players, uh, get their medicals. I think that's probably the most important part of the combine. You know, you got to be able to determine whether or not a player is even healthy enough to play for your team, let alone for you to draft them. Um, and then obviously all the all the skills competitions basically is, is what they've become. You know, everyone sort of tunes in in order to see the, the, the 40 yard dash and things of that nature. So, you know, it, it's it's been a spectacle, you know, every year for for quite some time now. And I feel like it's only getting bigger. You know, Demetrius, it's been five plus weeks since the Jaguars season ended. We were waiting for the moves, right? Free agency is two weeks from today. The combine has arrived. When will the moves start happening? Let's rewind the clock back to last Friday. The first move was re-signing backup quarterback C.J. Beathard to a two-year deal. I said on the air last Friday, look, that's a great signing for a guy that you hope you never see in the regular season, at least in meaningful action. That signing's all about Trevor Lawrence, right, and keeping familiar surroundings around Trevor Lawrence. Absolutely. You know, obviously C.J. Uh, was brought in under Trent 
um, during his first year as the GM. I, I think that he knew at that time that he would be a solid quarterback to be behind Trevor Lawrence. And, you know, that, that relationship between Lawrence and, and Beathard has grown ever since, you know, last you know, last season, even just in the locker room, you could tell that they were really close. They were ping pong partners. Uh, Beathard's the um, self-proclaimed and also, you know, I think team proclaimed uh, best ping pong player on, on the team. So, you know, it, it's just one of those little things that it, it, it makes sense. You, you have to be able to keep a guy around that's been able to guide Trevor throughout his, you know, you know, short career thus far, be able to uh, teach him sort of the ins and outs of the NFL, how to study film, all that kind of stuff. You know, obviously you sort of, if you're a Jaguar fan or if you're at the Jaguars in general, you probably hope that Beather doesn't have to play at all. Um, but what he's been able to do off the field, I think, has been valuable. You know, I think Doug Peterson has spoken to that uh, several times, you know, and obviously Trevor has as well. So, yeah, it, it was a it was a move probably to, you know, keep that quarterback room sort of uh, intact. And I think that they knew that it wasn't going to be too costly. I think a two year deal worth four point five million uh, was what was reported. So, you know, it, it was something that made sense. And I, I think it's probably for the best interest of both Lawrence and probably the Jaguars. Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union. You look at the offensive quarterback room and the offensive staff, Doug Peterson, Press Taylor, Mike McCoy, now C.J. Beathard all returning around Trevor. They did lose Jim Bob Cooter, and they bring in Nick Holes from UNLV to replace him as the passing game coordinator. Demetrius, any issue with Jim Bob Cooter being gone, or are there still such familiar surroundings around Trevor that that won't matter very much? I think it's fine. I mean, you know, obviously you want somebody with a, with a great mind. Obviously, Jim Bob Cooter has um, had plenty of experience in the NFL, even though he's still really young. Um, you know, obviously he's he's a guy who was a, a riser, somebody who uh, is taking that gig over in Indy as the offensive coordinator. It, it, it's a pretty big deal for him. But I think for the Jaguars, um, they, you know, it, it, it's, it's a situation where, while yes, obviously he's very valuable in, in the terms of game planning and maybe thinking of some situational things, some scouting of the other team. Um, in order to implement things on their their own offense and then the third down situations and, and, and stuff like that. I, I don't think that necessarily um, is a huge loss because you can replace them with a guy. You know, they, they obviously like Holtz, who is able to come in and sort of uh, become that um, a, a little bit more than a quality control guy. You know, it's somebody who, who can, can assist the offense in any way possible. I don't think it's a huge loss. I think that if they would have lost somebody like Press Taylor or even Mike McCoy, who worked closely with uh, Trevor Lawrence, and that would have been a, a pretty bigger, pretty big loss. Um, but for now, I think it's fine. Demetrius, six months ago, in fact, less than six months ago, the Jaguars at the end of training camp added a running back named Jamichael Hasty. And at the time, you would have to be a pretty diehard football fan here in Jacksonville to know that name. I knew who he was. I didn't know much about him. But boy, after they traded James Robinson, Jamichael Hasty accounted himself pretty well as Travis Etienne's uh, backup running back. He gets rewarded with a new deal over the weekend. I'm curious your thoughts. I still think they need to do something at running back, add maybe another guy in free agency or the draft. But I thought it was a good re-signing of Jamichael Hasty. He showed me enough last year to see why they, they would want to do that. Absolutely. I think that um, obviously they depend on Jermichael being that third down back, sort of a guy who can come in and 
uh, pass protect. They used him a lot during the Chiefs game. I think that everybody saw it. You know, everyone was wondering why isn't Etienne on the field? Um, I think that the, the Jags really value him in terms of a pass protector and someone who can catch the football out of the backfield. Um, it was sort of a, a, a no-brainer um, re-signing or extension to me. Uh, I don't think that they're necessarily done with the with the running back room. I know that they um, have another hole to fill, potentially the sort of that power back role, um, something that Snoop Connor should be able to, to take a hold of. But but if not, they they should probably add some more depth there. Um, but yeah, re- re-signing or extending Hasty um, is is a pretty solid move. It's it's something that you know it's keeping the band together sort of in a way and. He was set to become a restricted free agent, so regardless of how they kept him, they could have kept him pretty easily. Um, and so I, I think it was just a, a normal, a normal re-signing and, and someone that they value, and it makes sense for the for the running back room moving forward. Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Demetrius, probably the two biggest moves of the weekend. We'll begin with Foyer Aluikin. Boy, what a signing he was last year restructures his deal to save the Jaguars basically $10 million plus on this year's cap. Uh, likely won't be the only guy to do that. There's rumors about you know whether it's Christian Kirk, Brandon Sheriff, other guys may do similar things. And not to get in the minutia of everything, but Aluikin necessarily didn't have to do that. He did it, and it helps the team out. So for me, it shows that A, he's a team guy, and B, it shows the Jaguars – can manipulate this cap so that cap figure that we were all worried about maybe not as big a deal as we once thought. Absolutely. You know, the, the Jags were one of the only teams um, in quite some time, I don't know if they've ever done it, to to not push money down the road. You know, they've been consistent in signing those deals that are basically two-year contracts, and then they sort of move on from there. Um, you know, this time around, obviously, the cap situation is a bit different. They, they sort of are up against it because of, you know, past moves and, and sort of um, situations that they put themselves in. Um, but, but yeah, you know, being able to restructure a contract like Foyer's um, was, was pivotal. You know, he was set to count against, I believe it was around 19 something million against the cap. And now it's down to 8.83. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a situation where now they'll be able to have a little bit more breathing room and there's more moves to come and, and, and things of that nature. Um, you know, for Oluokin, it was sort of just a situation where he's able to recoup some of that money beforehand. You know, he's able to get that uh, $10.3 million up front, and then, you know, the Jaguars sort of add some dummy years to it in order to to lower that cap hit. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's a good situation for them. I think that uh, there's probably more to come, and obviously we still have to see what they're going to do with Shaq Griffin. A couple of more for Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union. He's getting set to head up to Indianapolis for the NFL scouting combine. Demetrius, clearly to me the biggest move of the weekend is extending Roy Robertson-Harris. There was real thought that he could be a cap casualty. Not only is he not a cap casualty, he gets a three-year, $30 million extension, which to me says two things. Number one, the Jaguars knew just how unbelievably valuable he was. And number two, perhaps again, the talk of Jamal Agnew, Rayshon Jenkins, Robertson Harris being cap casualties. Maybe that's not going to be the case with all the restructuring that they're doing. Absolutely. I, I think that it's a situation where 
Robertson Harris played well down the stretch. Um, yeah, you know, coming into the season, I think that everybody sort of circled him and uh, along with Rayshon Jenkins as guys who might be cut after the year. But, you know, it, with everything that, that they've shown, they should probably stay. You know, obviously, Roy Robertson Harris didn't have the, the best season, you know, up until, you know, maybe week 12. But what, what he was able to do when he was fully healthy, when players started coming back and things of that nature, he was able to sort of thrive. He he, he picked up against uh, double teams quite well. I thought that he was um, pretty much one of their best defensive players during their playoff run. So, yeah, it was it was a it was a savvy move because it, it also lowers his cap hit. His cap figure was set to be around ten point one three million, and I think that you know obviously we don't know the the fine details of his new contract, but. Um, I would expect that to be significantly lower. So, you know, it's a situation where the Jaguars are getting under the cap uh, before the new league year, which all 32 teams have to do. But they also need to be able to re-sign guys like Evan Ingram, re-sign a Jawan Taylor if they want to, and, and Arden Key and all the rest of their uh, unrestricted guys. So, um, obviously, there's there's more to come, and I think that that's something that the Jaguars wanted to make a priority before heading out to the NFL Combine. All right, Demetrius, you mentioned a couple of the guys I wanted to ask you about. We're eight days left in the franchise tag window. It expires a week from tomorrow, March 7th. As we know, free agency, the negotiation period, is two weeks from today. Based on what you believe, what you've been told, people you've talked to, where are the Jaguars with Evan Ingram right now? I think the, the the talks are going well. I, I think as of last week, they hadn't had you know too far in depth talks in terms of being able to iron out the details right away. Um, but I think that you know as the combine progresses, you know that's typically also a time where NFL GMs can meet with agents in person and and, and do all that kind of stuff. So usually deals happen during this time. So uh, you know just look for that over the next couple of weeks obviously before the franchise tag de- deadline but you know a guy like Evan I think that um he's probably the only guy I would consider a candidate for that franchise tag. You know it's 11 million dollars I believe for a tight end. I know the Jaguars don't want to have to use that but um it's it's a situation where they can before March 7th use it as a placeholder just similar to like they've done with uh players in the past cam robinson last year you know they they franchise tagged him and then eventually they were able to reach an agreement so i think if if, you know worse comes to worse that can happen but i I do believe firmly that they'll want to retain evan ingram evan ingram wants to come back so you know it's a situation where it's just a, a, a matter of waiting the interesting thing is we've been talking about this over a month we're going to find out a week from tomorrow, right? The franchise tag window closes, I believe, at like 4 o'clock next Tuesday, March 7th. You almost just answered it. Let me not put you on the spot, but just get your opinion on it. If at 345 next Tuesday, March the 7th, if they don't have a deal in place with Evan Ingram, do you believe at that point they would franchise him? I believe so, and that's just my opinion, you know, not not based on anything really. Um, I, but 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 I believe so because I don't think that they want to allow him to necessarily go out and, and sort of scout how much money he's going to get from X, Y, and Z team. I think that they want to be able to have him and 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 retain his services at least one more a year. So um, doing that, you know, setting the franchise tag, I think that that makes sense. You know, I, I think that they have enough players on the roster to be able to move around um, the cap space if need be so it won't hurt them too much but yeah I think right now if at that point they don't have a a long-term agreement I'd be kind of surprised if they don't franchise tag them 
since they restructured Aluik and Demetrius, if they do similar things with Kirk and Sheriff, they cut Shaq Griffin, all of a sudden find themselves an additional $25, 30000000 million in cap space, does that make it more likely that Jawan Taylor is in their future plans? I think so. And, and I, I've always thought that Jawan um, has been a priority for them. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them, you know, re-sign him or extend him. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, and, and that's just because, you know, the, the best or most important part of the team right now is obviously Trevor Lawrence. You want to be able to keep him upright. And in order to do that, you have to have good offensive linemen. I think Jawan showed out well in pass protection last year. I think that was his best season by far. Um, in that metric and you know they have Cam Robinson coming off of a um, knee injury and you have Walker Little who hasn't played too much um, throughout his time here in Jacksonville and even over the last few years just in college so um, I think that it makes sense for them to want to retain Taylor and I wouldn't be surprised if that's the end result you know I I think that they've uh, sort of obviously had their eyes or everyone has had their eyes on Evan Ingram but I think Jawan is should be right up there with them. Demetrius, leave us with this. Uh, again, Demetrius Harvey of the Times Union. Doug Peterson and Trent Balky both set to meet the media tomorrow afternoon in Indianapolis at the Combine. You'll be there. What are your expectations? What do you believe we will hear? What do you hope to hear from both Balky and Peterson tomorrow? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. You know, this is the first time, obviously, that we're able to talk with them since the end of the season. Um, sort of their plans. You know, last year was weird. They they sort of hired Doug in, in the, at the beginning of February. They didn't have much time as a full staff to talk about these prospects. So, you know, what are the differences there? You know, how much you know more prepared are they as a coaching staff? Obviously, the personnel department has been working on this, you know, throughout the year. But as a coaching staff, how, how much more prepared are they? Um, obviously, we're going to have to figure out, you know, if they're going to um, give Caleb on chase on that fifth year option. I expect them not to obviously, but you know, who knows what, what they're going to say likely something along the lines of we haven't come to that decision yet, but you know, it's, it's, it's sort of all uh, part of it. And, and I think that it's going to be interesting to, to hear from both of those guys and sort of how they maneuver this year's draft, you know, the past couple of years, they've had the first overall pick. So now how do you sort of determine that 24th overall pick? And isn't it interesting? Usually all we're talking about, draft, draft, draft. They're going to the combine for the draft, but now it's all about re-signing your in-house guys, which to me is growth by the organization. People are much more interested in free agency and retaining your veterans as opposed to what the Jaguars are going to do with that 25th pick in round number one. Demetrius Harvey of the Times Union. Demetrius, safe travels to Indianapolis, man. Again, thank you for joining us. We'll talk after the combine, bud. I appreciate it. And thank you to Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark as he makes his way up to Indianapolis for the scouting combine. Again, the -the on-the-field work does not begin until, I believe, Thursday, but a lot of the things that the media are interested in, a lot of the things that you, the fans, are interested in will begin tomorrow as tomorrow some GMs and coaches do meet with the media. That includes Trent Baalke and Doug Peterson, who both are scheduled to talk to the media tomorrow uh, in the early afternoon hours up there in Indianapolis. And you can make sure that we will have all the info of what they say covered all afternoon long tomorrow here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So that'll just about wrap it up for what has been a very busy Monday evening edition 
of Hacker After Dark. Thank you guys for hanging out with us again. Thank you to Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union. Thank you to Patrick Fenley of the Chicago Sun Times. Boy, interesting times up in Chicago. Are they going to keep the number one pick? Are they going to trade the number one pick? Is Justin Fields the quarterback of the future? Could they potentially draft a quarterback and trade Justin Fields? I think we've heard every rumor imaginable associated with the Chicago Bears. It was interesting to get a perspective on them from Patrick Finley earlier of the Chicago Sun-Times. And as always, thank you to Jason Cole, longtime NFL writer. He is a pro football Hall of Fame voter. You catch him now on OutKick. Really enjoy Jason's perspective on everything that's NFL-related and always love talking a little Jaguar and Jaguar offseason with my friend Jason Cole. We'll be back tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. We're behind Helmets and Heels tomorrow, 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock, in for Baloo, and we will do it all over again. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green in Jacksonville. Thank you for spending part of your Monday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Monday evening, and we will talk to you tomorrow night on a Tuesday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.